Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we're going to focus on a particular movie and the other podcast I guested on last week described this one as um, incredibly well prepared and professional and so in... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you're right, right, right yes. Yes, yeah, totally. Lots of research. Um, so in that, in that vein we will use this extensive research to uh, review that film talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up and as always we end the show with our recommendations these are the films that we think complement our main film support it or what we consider sort of further watching follow it the links are going to be as close or as tenuous as we like them to be you don't need introductions really at this stage um he's rob he makes content i'm sam i teach about content that's about it that's, yes that's, that's a nice little synth we're putting it uh, and this week sam it was your choice of film <laughs> and i have chosen this week the 1991 film the silence of the lambs we're interviewing all the serial killers now in custody for a psychobehavioral profile could be a real help in unsolved cases you spook easily starling not yet, sir. I want you to go after him again to Danny Asylum. Who's the subject? The psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the cannibal. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Silence of the Lambs is directed by Jonathan Dem or Deme. I should have researched that. This this is the level of professionalism you get. Let's go with them. I'd, I'd um, them, yeah. And it stars yeah. Jo- yeah, fine. Stars Jodie Foster as Clary Starling, trainee FBI agent who is sent to interview an incarcerated Hannibal Lecter, Doctor Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins, who is a serial killer and psychiatrist, and the FBI. The overarching organisation of which Jodie Foster is a small part believes that Lecter may be able to help in catching a current serial killer, Buffalo Bill. That's about it for Seth. That's about it. And uh, Rob, your thoughts? Now, I must say, I saw this film probably, I'd say 10 years ago, but given I'm now 33, probably 15 years ago. Probably in my my mid to late teens, I watched this film for the first time. And. What struck me this time was how little of it I actually remembered from the last time I watched it. You remember the highlights? You remember how mm. Lecter? I had no memory of the senator and her daughter, no memory of Jack Crawford, and all these other bits of the story just dropped out. I think that this film mm. deserves all the nods it gets. It deserves all the awards it got. I think it is well shot. It is a horror film at the same time being a good thriller. I, there are certain scenes where I'm like, you know what, I want to stop that now and I want to have someone cuddle me. Um, it, it's certainly that kind of visceral body horror, especially in the work of Hammer Lecter. But at the same time, you've got slasher horror in the scenes with Buffalo Bill, um, even kind of at the sort of strange, like ghost-haunted um, feel with uh, some of the Buffalo Bill sort of things. It's certainly a horror film in all its forms. A film very much is carried, I think, by Judy Foster and Anthony Hopkins, and I think both of them do very, very well. I don't think any of the other versions of those two characters have ever come as close or done as well as those two. 
I think on top of it being a very good film, I think it's a very interesting film. I think it falls in that kind of category of things like The Shining, where there's a text and a subtext to it, and there are theories and ideas being presented in the film beyond what we're given in the straight story. Sam? That was... Um, I paused there because I was kind of waiting for a but. I thought you were going to uh, say something in opposition to that. So before you um, offer it, something negative about it I will just I'll agree with you there there are I think one of the exceptional things about this film which I love um and like you hadn't seen in a while and had forgotten a lot of it is that there are two main plots there are no subplots um and although you might if you haven't seen it for years think that the plot was to do with um, Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter and you might have a, a hazy recollection of another of something else going on um, it is it is the case that in this film there are definitely two strands um, and it's not one is not subservient to the other one mm. um, and I think that is a real strength of this film um, I think both of those um as you said, carried by Jodie Foster, um, and Anthony Hopkins is very good as Hannibal Lecter. I think, um, if I were to be slightly critical of it, I would say, critical in a negative way, I would say that those two are so good that the rest of the characters fall a bit flat by comparison. That's not to say they are, but those who are just head and shoulders above everything else. Yeah, I, I, they, they kind of eclipse everybody else a little bit. I think there is good work being mm, done elsewhere, yeah. but they are so singular in the performance. Especially Hannibal Lecter, he is such a dominating character. And there's a reason why he, the, as a sort of cultural meme, exists and carries on. I think that the, mm. the, the, the strength of that is in uh, Hannibal Lecter's. Um, thing, and I think Clarice. I think Clarice suffered from that a bit of that as well. That the role is so uniquely Jodie Foster's, and so uniquely tied together that the other characters do kind of just fail. And that's the reason why, looking back, the only other character I remember is Buffalo Bill, because everyone else kind of fades compared to those two. The there is something something quite brilliant about the way Jodie Foster plays that character, and it's. It, I suppose it, it comes down to um, it was brought home to me by two things right at the very beginning um, in that sequence where well, she's she's running through a forest on a training run and then she walks through the academy through the mm. FBI and in the second part of that she walks through the FBI and she's as I, I looked up I have a thing about people's statistics I have a weird compulsion to know how tall they are and how old they are that, no, that, 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 that's, that's fine Sam that's not, not, not weird at all it's not weird at all no um, and actually to be fair to me we're talking about a film where someone skins people and makes a dress out of them like it, wanting to know how old they are is not weird yes but he's also fictional <laughs> 
right, okay. I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, at least I didn't enslave an entire planet. Well, you know, you know Sam, the Avengers is just a film. <laughs> if, if, if your barometer for how good a person you are is still serial killers. Okay, yeah, fine. Point taken. So, anyway, we put that, that weirdness to one side. She's not that small or that young. She's five foot four and she's twenty nine, but she's made to seem like a tiny little girl as she walks through that um that scene where she walks through the FBI. Um mm. there are you get um shots of her in groups of people with the head their heads cut off, they don't fit in the not heads cut off, that sounds in a film about serial killers that sounds worse. I exactly than, worse They're than framed out. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Mr. Uh, film, film speak. Right. Um, they are they are framed out, and she is she is presented as a very small, very vulnerable figure in that environment, and that's something you got in the training run that she was on right at the beginning when she. It's a brilliant acting performance. She looks like she's being hunted, even though you find out she's not. She's just on a training run, and she's just. I mean, you find out later that she's a very driven individual. It might be that she was trying to go particularly fast because she had a course record to beat, something like that. But you have that in a way in which she looks like she's being hunted. There's a foreshadowing of this um, cat and mouse theme that you get later on in the film. So I think that was that was brilliantly presented by Jodie Foster and the filming of Jodie Foster right at the beginning of the film. I think this is where we need to move into, I suppose, more less review and more analysis of the film a bit, in that I think that opening scene is very interesting. I even made a note of it within the first like, 10 seconds of the film. It's like, she is alone. Mm. For the first five minutes of that film, in the, five minutes, the first whole scene, she is alone. Um, and... The very almost the very first thing is her climbing up this rope up a hill towards the camera, and I think if we are to accept that the film is saying something with its with its filmmaking style, it is very much saying that she she's alone. She is a as you say she's a small figure. She's framed small, but also that in the whole world, she's alone. And so when later on you have these scenes of her and another female cadet, and in turn a, a, an agent who work together, that those scenes aren't overridden if you see what I'm saying that we still feel even though she's got mm. this kind of sorority-esque relationship with this other agent she's still alone which is why at the end when she moves bullets here so dispatches Buffalo Bill and everything she goes through in the film you never feel like she should have a partner from day one they pin to her this is a person alone there are situations We've talked about sort of hard-boiled detectives in the past where detectives are alone for a particular reason and they are, you know, they they might they might have a personality quirk that turns them off from other people or they might be particularly misanthropic and nobody wants to work with them. There's nothing like that. It's just she happens to be alone in this quest that mm. she's let no one into. And it, it it doesn't feel like she is. It doesn't feel like she's presented as being alone. It's sort of a dramatic angle. Like, it doesn't feel like a narrative conceit. She just is. 
that's and that's what makes this this part of the film so good. Yeah, I think the it's it's interesting. And the film does it well, given that the first scene is her alone, but also doing an assault course, doing it well. That she's alone and small, as we've said, but at no point do you feel she's weak. Uh, and no. very often, no. the narrative of the of the strong uh, female like role model, as we've to do, starts off weak and is made strong. If you look at things like mm. Buffy, if you look at things like uh, Firefly, uh, Josh Whedon's a big print of this. But the idea is that the the the, the the trope is that the woman is weak and finds her strength or something like that. Whereas we open, we literally open with Clarice Starling being strong. She's sent to interview clearly an infamous and psychotic killer. And apart from a brief breakdown when she leaves there, she's never been as weak in those scenes. No. We are we are scared of Lexa because he is he is a serial killer and he would make anyone scared. Part of the reason we are so scared of him is because he's reduced a really, really strong person to tears. Mm. I mean, that, and that—that's the power of of the character of Hannibal Lecter. I think that's 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 well done filmmaking that she's always presented as being alone in in that film. But mm. I think that the film does for me the big sort of pose uh, the theme of the film is one of transformation. And yes, obviously this is very, very evident in the in the in the signalling of the of the moths and the cocoons and thing. But you, all the all the characters kind of go through this transformational process or are obsessed with transformation. Whilst Clary said doesn't change much through the film, Hannibal Lecter is obsessed with her transformation from child to adult. Yeah, he, he the the silence of the lambs obviously is the title comes from her story of seeing the lambs being slaughtered, and this feels very much like a coming of age moment when she transformed from being a child to an adult and for who she was into who she became, and obviously Buffalo Bill is very much about trying to transform himself into something else or someone else, and there is a transformative element to Hannibal Lecter himself and his work you know he transformed when he does break out of prison he transforms himself into a guard to make his escape at the end he's grown full of hair he's transformed again it, there is a, a filmic obsession with transformation in this film one of the really really clever things about this is that although it focuses on transformation there is a sense in which there is an aspired transformation that hasn't happened yet. Mm. What, and what I mean is, the phrase Silence of the Lambs doesn't appear in the film because it doesn't happen in the film. Um, and the near the nearest Lecter gets to it is asking Clarice whether the lambs are still making noise. Mm. And you were supposed to think as an audience, what Clarice is aspiring towards is a transformation in which she can stop hearing the sound of the lambs. So she's moving towards a silence of the lambs. But we don't get there. So there's a suggestion that what this film is implying about transformation is that it's something that we all still need to go through. We all still have something that we're moving towards. Mm. I think there's that's a, a big thing for film. I think... Butterflies are obviously a very common motif 
in this. And I think that they, they take mm. it beyond just transformation into change. Uh, it was a really nice moment in the very sort of the third act of the film in which Clarice ends up at Buffalo Bill's house and there's a moment when she clearly realises he's probably Buffalo Bill. And if you watch that shot, it's her sitting mm. in the doorway and the camera just gently pans to the right to a picture of a butterfly on the wall. And then pans back to her. Yes. It, it's it's maybe a pan of a foot, if, if that. But they use butterflies as this moment of change. So there's the wide transformation we're talking about with their their, their long term goals, shall we say? But the, the Jonathan Dem, Demi Dem, does use the motif of butterflies as a change moment. And it, even before that, when she kind of she's at the house, she, she realizes that it's he's making a woman suit. The, they've got the wallpaper in there is, is butterflies. When Buffalo Bill, shall we say, transforms himself into a woman by makeup and you know tucking things back, shall we say, the last shot is him with his arms in the air with this lovely kind of brown mottled sort of throw over him, very reminiscent of a butterfly. And even Hannibal Lecter, when he's got, when he when he escapes, he ties up one of the um, guards to the to the cage. And has these, mm. these big streamers coming out from it. Once again, very reminiscent of a butterfly. And all throughout the film, he ha- we have butterflies at moments of change. There was there was something there. The, you picked up on the way that the camera moves in this. So there was that the camera moving at the moment of realization. That's that's something else that I, I think we ought to pick up on here is how sensitive the camera work is. Um, and how you will only notice if you're looking for it, but it is brilliant. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't tend to look for it much, but I did notice um, in the first scene in which we see the inside of Buffalo Bill's house, uh, it was a beautiful shot, the way the camera moved. Um, and and it's don't I don't have the vocabulary to explain it, but it was just it was like it was just like someone moving through a house and scanning the walls in various rooms and then moving on. It was it was brilliantly fluid the way the camera moved. That's a steady uh, camera. I think that that's something. Thank you. Yes, um, that that's something that we should give credit because this film is now. God help us, 25 years old. And it's not something we think of in films that are 25 years old. We think of a, a kind of a, I suppose, a postmodern attitude to filmmaking, the way that shots are put together. I think Sam's got an excellent, excellent point there. I think that cinematographically and sorry, filmically, the film is interesting in its language. Hannibal Lecter is very often framed with things in front of his face, be it bars, be it glass, be it half-light, be it a phone at the end. He's always presented kind of with something across his face. And so when we do see the full face of him at the start, it is it's notable that we don't often, you know, the face mask. There's very much a framing language used on Hannibal Lecter to obscure him. Same thing with Buffalo Bill at the end. When we first see him half-face behind the door, Whereas Clarice is very often full frame, full face. Um, and I think they use framing in the camera work of this film very, very well to help build on the 
unnerving nature of Hannibal Lecter and the more trusted nature of Clarice. And I've just looked up Tag for Jamoso, other films that he was cinematographer on. Interestingly, because you were talking about um, horror films, also worked on The Sixth Sense and Signs. 2002 was his, this would be his most recent big budget success. Yeah. I think that that idea of sorry, I, think... I was going on to talk about that. That that idea of um, concealing Hannibal Lecter's face is a is an important one because the famous shot that we think of is Hannibal Lecter in a straitjacket with the mask on, mm. uh, muzzled like an animal. So we that's that's how we think of Hannibal Lecter. We think of him with a concealed mouth, and that's something that the cinematography of this film will do all the way through even even when we when we don't see Hannibal Lecter in in that environment we still have have a concealed view exactly i think that they are that they are doing good things there with that kind of helping to control him and i think that the other big theme i felt running through the film was the idea of fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and sort of parental relationships and especially in Clarice you've kind of got two father figures at work with her which is Jack Crawford the mentor at the FBI and obviously Hannibal Lecter and there's very much a paternal aspect I think to both his relationships and then you've got the more twisted side which I say with Buffalo Bill and clearly his mother um, who he appeared to have killed and left in a bathtub full of something. You've got the mother and daughter relationship between the senator and her daughter, who's already been kidnapped. There is a a strong theme running through it of this kind of parental relationships and how they affect the the children. That's interesting because I I looked up um, Jack Crawford and he's. They they seem to have not cared who portrayed him. Um, I mean, who portrays Clarice Sterling changes because of restrictions on getting hold of Jodie Foster. And Anthony Hopkins did a couple of films and then moved away from the role. But they really don't care. I mean, Jack Crawford was portrayed by Dennis Farinas, Scott Glenn in this, um, Lawrence Fishburne and Harvey Keitel. So they... They don't even seem to have cared about race um, for that character. So, and th- and that strikes me as interesting, given what you were saying there about him being. And he is an important character. His relationship with Clarice is seems to me to be important. The father figure. Yes. Uh, I think it's. It, but I will say. After you. Sorry. After you. That, uh, you've been very polite. I'm a nice person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Occasionally. When she reveals something, when she engages with Hannibal Lecter, the quid pro quo moment, mm. when he gives her information and she gives him information back, is a defiance of Jack Crawford because Crawford said right at the beginning, "Don't open up to him. Yes, don't engage with him in any way." And then she does, and she she seems to have no qualms about doing that about doing what is necessary and that is in defiance of of her father figure 
I think that's the, that, that, so that's the moment when she kind of has to choose a father figure a little bit and helps to kind of she seems to open up far more to Lecter um, whether mm. that's a calculated move to try and get more from him or genuinely which the film tries to portray is that there is a, a connection between the two and if you obviously read the books and look at mm. Hannibal the second film there is a growing connection between the two Mm. Uh, there's yeah. interesting work being done around the uh, the paternal figures there yes well that's a, a good place to move into recommendations because actually one of my recommendations you have just mentioned Okay. Uh, my first recommendation is is the sequel this film made 10 years later and as I've already suggested without uh, Jodie Foster and Julian Moore in, in Hannibal film in 2001 is not great as Clarice and the whole film is not great mm. but there are some spectacular set pieces and they're particularly those in in dark churches in Italy um, I remember I haven't haven't seen it since it came out really but I remember it being um, an impressive film if if not a particularly good one and my second one relies on well, the, my second one is the polar opposite because it has brilliant acting performances, and I'm not sure it's it's a particularly good or impressive film. Um, it's Jodie Foster in Panic Room, the year after Hannibal. Uh, I thought, although the film wasn't very good, I thought she was particularly good, and it's always it's always a pleasure to remind yourself how how good a particular actor is um, so that those of you my two recommendations this week are not great films but they are they came to mind for different reasons fair enough fair enough now i will say first time i put together my little list of recommendations here both the films on my list were out and out comedies and i kind of thought i need to pull it back a little bit because to recommend in two comedies after this doesn't seem appropriate so i dropped one of the comedies and I have thrown something more, more right. appropriate in its place. So I'll, I'll go with the, the theme, thematically similar one to start with. Um, and this is a film that I'm sure in time we will cover on this podcast because I just want to. Um, and that is the 1995 film Seven, starring Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Such... David Fincher, who anyone who listens to the podcast knows I have a little bit of a, a man crush on his work. It is about a serial killer who is killing people in methods related to the seven deadly sins I don't want to say any mm. more than that because it is a is a film that is worth watching is worth watching cold if you haven't seen it though at this point if you're listening to a podcast about film analysis I'm going to assume you've probably seen seven but I do think it's yes I no no spoilers but I will say that in this if you enjoyed the fact that there are two plots in Silence of the Lambs, Seven is another one for having uh, different numbers of stories in play mm. at any one time. So I think that was that was more than I thought. You know what? I should drop a comedy and put that in. Um, but my okay. second recommendation is a, a straight comedy, and this is what this I'm is one intrigued. this is one where we 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 often say that the link is going to be tenuous, and this link is a little tenuous. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm okay with that. So the link here is Ted Levine, who plays Buffalo Bill in Hunts and Lambs. He appears as General Woodman 
in the 2001 film Evolution, which is starring David Coveney, Orlando Jones, Julianne Moore, who, kind of, who interestingly enough, starred as Clarice Starling in Hannibal. Yes. Um, and Sean William Scott. Tells the tale of aliens who crash land in, I think, Nevada. And it's a comedy around that, essentially. It is one that is very often forgotten, I think, as a film. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, evolution. But having watched it recently on a whim, it is far better and far funnier than I would have given my memories credit for. I think that it's a, a gem that is worth uncovering. But I'm well aware, thematically, stylistically, genrely, it is completely separate from Silence of the Lambs. But Ted Levine is yes. my link between the two. But maybe we need. Yes, one, really. after after this, you probably after um, Silence of the Lambs, you probably do need a little bit of uh, a bit of warmth and fun in your life. We've probably got about twenty seconds of warmth because you've already told me what film you're choosing for this week. I, yes, um, yes, I have. So this week, um, <laughs> I'm going. We're going international, really, and we're going a little bit off the beaten path. We are going to be watching the 2015 film from Taiwanese director Hao Shoshin, The Assassin. It is a wushu film, uh, which is sort of kung fu martial arts on wires. And I'm going to leave it at that, really, because I think that uh, we'll come in fresh next week. Um, so if you're. This is one that. So this is one that I did want to see at the time, but because it was a foreign film, it was on fairly limited release. Mm. And by the time I'd had the thought I wanted to go and see it, it was already not in cinema. So I will look forward to seeing that. So if you want to come find us on Twitter, you can find both of us at The Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at Life underscore Academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Please do, um, if you get a spare moment and you feel so inclined, give us a, a positive review on iTunes. We really do appreciate that. And we look forward to uh, speaking about The Assassin next week. We'll see you then. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr!